0: Let me pray for us. Father God, some of us came in here today um, exploring and wondering and considering could you be who you claim that you are? Could that make a difference in our lives? I think that this is a safe place to consider that and to explore that. Some of us have barely started a faith journey, some of us have been running and stumbling after God for quite a while now. And we're all on a journey in different places, but Lord, would you use the life of Abraham today to just speak into where each of us is on that journey? Would you you use the words and the stories and the moments of his life to teach us a little bit more about who you are and as a result who we are? I humbly ask that in the name of Jesus. Well, Ruth Graham tells a story. Billy Graham's wife used to tell a story before she passed. They had a whole slew of kids. And she would tell the story that, you know, so many times, Billy Graham would be gone for weeks and weeks and weeks because he traveled the world teaching. And so she would have the kids alone, a lot. And one day she had them in the car, and they were headed up to Montreal where they have a home, this two-lane road. And listen, this is way before seatbelts. So I don't know how many of you in here remember before seatbelts, but this is what kids do. Doing, doing, doing. There's no saying no. They're on this two-lane road up to Montreat and they get in construction traffic. And it stops. For an hour, they're in this, all the all the are starting to get hives, right? For an hour they're sitting in this car with these four kids who are bored out of their mind. She said, I was losing my mind. I thought about just starting to toss kids out, right? She said, she actually said, I I threatened to put one of them in the trunk at one point. So finally, after an hour of being in the car with these kids, the traffic starts moving and and they get to the end and there's this big sign and it says, construction completed. Thank you for your patience. And she said, I'm going to put that on my tombstone. And she did. If you go to the Billy Graham Library... Um, where she is buried, now beside her husband, her tombstone says exactly that. Construction completed. Thank you for your patience. And you're saying, why share that story this morning? Because I think as we talk about what is faith, I mean, what what does faith really look like for our Monday through Friday? And, And as an example of that, we're looking at the great faith chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and all these people of tremendous faith we could slip into going, "Wow, look at those amazing leaps of faith that those people took," and miss the construction of their faith. We could think, "Man, look at Abraham and Noah and Rahab and Sarah and Isaac and Moses and this incredible faith they had." And man, I'm just like Abraham's here, and I'm like, Pfft. but we miss the construction. <laughs> The becoming of their faith. And here's the thing about our God, friends. This is something I want you to hold over the whole message this morning. If we're in a place where we're taking baby steps, if we're in a place where we're just searching out, could God be who he says he is? If we're in the middle of huge doubt, if we're in the middle of huge failure, failure here's the thing that never changes about our God. His love for us is based on his character, not our worthiness. And so it never changes. I mean, if I'm, if I'm really doing great in my faith or if I'm drowning in doubt, his love for me doesn't change because it's not based on me ever. It's not based on my worthiness. It's based on God's goodness and his love and his holiness. And so I want to take us on a whirlwind look at Abraham's construction of his faith this morning. And if you thought being in the cafeteria was enough and smelling the fumes, we're going old school. We're going, yes, whiteboard. School supplies. Where's Lindsay? We're going old school. Okay, ready? Strap it on because here we go. Here are the scenes. And we're just going to do a few because his life is 13 chapters in the Bible. The most talked about person other than God and Jesus in the whole Bible, Abraham. So we're just looking at some scenes. Abraham's construction. Okay, Genesis 12. Who is this guy? Well, we find out that he's from Ur of Chaldeans. That's Babylonian territory. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought Abraham was a Jew. There are no Jews. Abraham is starting the Jewish people. He his heirs will become the Jewish people. There's no temple, there's no Jews, there's no culture. He was Babylonian. And we know about Ur of the Chaldeans that it was from archaeology that it was a super dark place. They worshiped demons, they played the black magic. Um, there was a giant ziggurat. In the middle of town, ziggurat like a like a, a pyramid with steps. And all over this 70-foot-tall ziggurat that you could see for miles and miles in the desert were all of the idols that they worshipped and sacrificed to. Child pornography, child sacrifice, dark, dark place. That's where Abraham, the father of our faith, came from. He's 75 years old when God first appears to him. His name is Abram at this point. He'll get a name change. Abram needs great daddy. Only one problem. He has no children, and he's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, whose name means princess, probably isn't feeling like much of a princess at this point because the number one thing she would want to give to her husband is a male heir. Because in this culture, everything, all their possessions, their names, their worth, their their promise in the culture all flowed through a male heir, and they didn't have any children. So he's, got a, he's 75 years old, he's midlife for him, that's midlife, he's middle-aged. He has a past that's unimpressive, if not very dark. He has no future in their culture, and God shows up. The Lord said to Abram, and we don't know how he appeared, we just know that he spoke to him. Go from your country, your people, your father's house, to the land that I'll show you. And then listen to these promises God offers to him. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Essentially, God chooses up to Abraham and he says, Abe, I'm looking at your life, and it's not going that great. Okay? It's, it, it, you're kind of running it into the ground, buddy. And then he says, what if you turned from you leading your life? You do in life, Abraham, Abraham's way at this point. And you consider following me. Because if you will follow me, I will, I will, I will, five times. And he offers Abraham belonging and blessing and a future and a purpose. And Abraham looks at his life that has none of those things and says, You know what? And the next thing it says is, It said, He went. And friends, that's how faith usually starts. Some people tell stories of great, grandiose, emotional faith. But for most of us, we see authentic faith in someone. And we go, I wonder if that's real. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He took the very little he knew of God. I mean, there's no Bible. There's no church. He's had this one encounter with God. And he takes the risk saying, I wonder if this is real. And he steps into faith, and I think at that point in his faith, he was hopeful. He was hopeful that maybe for the first time, this this might bring a full life that he had literally never known. I think he was intrigued, and I think that's how most people's faith starts. So, scene two, he's been fallen after God for a while. He did turn and leave his country and his people, and he's gone to where. God told him to go. And I always like to say, kudos to Sarah, because can you imagine this this um, marital conversation? Honey, I have this like encounter with God. What is it? He said we have to leave. Where are we going? I don't know. How long are we gonna be there? No clue. You might come with us, no, it's just us. At at that point, if I'm Sarah, I'm like, did you change the wood that you put on the fire? Because something is not right. So Sarah doesn't encounter God, but she goes with him. And they start this new life, and now it's been a couple of decades. Okay, So they have taken this risk. They've seen God do amazing things, but it's been a couple of decades. And all of a sudden, Abram's looking around, and he goes, it's been 20 years, and I still don't have a what? Son. And suddenly, faith meets doubt. See, this is when we start journeying after God. And, and, um, and life's going well, and we begin to say, yeah, I think this God is, is real, and my life feels more full. But then there's a tragedy, or loss, or sickness, or betrayal. Or there's a long, long, long waiting. And all of a sudden, disillusionment can set in. And we have this little bit of faith, but we have now a truckload of doubt. And we're flat out discouraged. And that's where we find Abraham in the begin- beginning of chapter 15 in Genesis. This time, God appears to Abram in a vision. He says, "Abram, do not be afraid. I am your great shield and your very great reward. And Abraham just looks at God and he says, God, my household, all of my people, my family are going to go to this servant in my home because I have no heir. It's been, it's been all these years, I still have no heir. When you come to God with your doubt, like a truckload of doubt, how do you think he feels about that? How do you think he feels? Do you... Did you have the sense that he'd be angry if you doubt? Or or that you should hide your doubt? I I feel that way sometimes. And I want you to know that again and again and again, and in this moment in Scripture, when Abraham pours out this doubt to God, I'm just not sure you're going to come through. God meets it with assurance and kindness and the repetition of his promises. He takes Abraham outside, it's in the desert. There are no lights, only the lights of the stars. And he takes him outside and he says, Abraham, look up. Can you even count the stars? Can you even count them? He said, Abraham, that's the number of heirs that you will have. And Abraham listened to God and he felt God's encouragement and he felt God's love and he felt God repeat his promises. And then it says this Abraham believed the Lord. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Now, when we say that word believe in American culture, we, we can use that word purely as intellectual assent. Like, I believe I should be working out every day. Okay? I believe I'll be healthier. I am not working out every day. Okay? So that means I intellectually agree that that would be a really good idea. Belief in the Bible, that word believe, when Abraham said, I believe you, God, it means I trust you. It means I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to chase after you to the best of my ability. And here's the beautiful part for us. God didn't say, well, once you get that going really well, then I'll say you're righteous. You're right with me. He said, Abraham, I'll take your little tiny bit of belief, your little tiny bit of trust, and I'm going to credit that to you as righteousness, that we're right now that little bit of trust, and I'm, I'm in. That's all I need, Abram. But then he goes even farther. He takes Abram's doubt, <laughs> tiny little bit of belief, and all that doubt, and he says, Abram, go and get a heifer and a goat and a ram and a dove and a pigeon and, and slice their bodies in half and put half of the animal over here and half the animal over here so that there's a pathway between this gory blood. And this was a blood covenant. And, and one person would stand at that end and the other would stand at this end. And as we passed by each other, we would make a blood covenant for the covenant with the agreement we were making. And if I did not keep that covenant with this person, I'm saying, May what happened to these animals happen to me if I do not stand by my word in this covenant. Aren't you glad we can just sign things with our name now? In this vision... Abraham has these animals laid out. And wait for it, here's the kindness of our Lord. The God of the universe moves through in a smoking fire pot towards Abram, saying, I am making a blood covenant with you, Abram. I will do these things. God meets his doubt and his disillusionment with kindness. He takes a tiny little itsy bitsy bit of faith and a whole lot of doubt, and he pours his love and kindness and promises upon it. Well, sometimes when things still, and they're still waiting, we can get impatient. We can get impatient and we think, you know what, I'm going to help God out. You now usually, this happens in people 's lives um, because of greed or fear, because they look around at their life and there 's something that they want that that is is not being given to them, and a greed sets in and, and it says something like, "You know what, I want what I want and i 'm going to go get it, even if I have to sort of slip around God to do it, or it looks like fear, I want this relationship, or I want this contract or I want this house or I want this fill it in with something that you would want." That your fearful might not come into your life. And so you begin to manipulate things and make it happen. And if you have to, you'll step around God to do it. So that's what happens. Chapter 16. Sarah goes to her husband Abram and says, Hey, so I have an idea. We got no son. God said he was going to give us a son. I think you should sleep with my maid servant Hagar, and, and maybe we'll be given a male heir. And every wife in this room is going, What kind of fresh madness is that? Like, that is craziness. Why did she do that? It was the culture. It was absolutely accepted in the culture. So, what she did was she laid on top of this faith and this this instruction by God, she laid culture on top of that. And I wonder 300 years from now what people will look back at us and say, what kind of fresh madness was that? Because we laid American culture on top of what God has told us to do. That's what happened. And Hagar did have a son and his name was Ishmael and it basically almost tore their family apart. And Ishmael is the father of the entire Arab world. And so Islam goes all the way back to Ishmael. And if some of you know the story already, Abraham is given a son by God and Abraham and Sarah, and that son is Isaac. And Isaac then is the descendant of the Jews and the Christians. And so to this day, in the Gaza Strip, the Arab world, heirs of Ishmael, and the Jews and the Christians are warring with each other because of that decision that Sarah and Abraham made. It was not plan A. Ishmael's 13 now. God hasn't heard, I mean, Abram hasn't heard from God in 13 years. If I'm Abram, I'm thinking, yeah, after that last round, he's done with me. God's out. He wasn't. Genesis 17, Abram's 99 years old. Sarah's 90. And the Lord appears to Abram and says, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That word blameless, thankfully for us, does not mean that we have no blame or we have no sin. That word means that you have a heart that is sincere to want to do what God wants to do, right? So after this whole Ishmael disaster God appears to him and says, Abraham, are you still in? Do you have a heart that is sincere and wants to follow? Wants to leave this old life and go my way? And Abram, it says, Abram fell on his face before the Lord. God goes on to say, well, good, because I'm going to give you a new name. We're going to start this new chapter. And Abram's like, good. Good. Because my name, Abraham, means great dad. And I'm 99 and I don't have a kid. And Sarah's name means princess. And she doesn't feel like a princess because we don't have a kid. So what's my name going to be? And he's like, it's going to be Abraham. It means father of many nations. You're killing me. Really? And Sarah's name is going to be princess of many. Princess of all. God is saying, I'm gonna make this so unbelievably not human that when I pull it off, you're gonna know that you know that you know that it was the God of the universe. Friends, the God that we worship is a God who changes names. When we say, Okay, I'm gonna take Holly out of leadership and off the throne, and, and I'm gonna I'm going to take this little bit of faith that I have and I'm going to do what you tell me to do and then I'll trust that you'll show me more. When we do that, God begins construction on our souls, on our persons, and he begins to build this faith that he builds for a lifetime until we breathe our last breath. God is doing that within us as we follow after him. And here are some of the people that He changed their names. He changed schemers' names, He changed people that came in with massive drinking problems, anger issues, murderers, adulterers. He took a fisherman and he said, I love what you're doing with the fish. How about we go do that with my entire church? He took someone who was so conceited and arrogant that he had excused the fact that he would go around killing people because he was so absolutely certain and convinced that he was right. He changed their names. Those are the leaders of our faith in Scripture. He took them on a faith construction journey, and he changed their names. He took the old person, and he made the new, but it was construction over time. This last piece, I think that that when God comes and says, I'm going to change your name, and then he repeats the promise that he is going to give him a son in a year, and they laugh. They both laugh. And I think basically there, in their faith, they're saying, God, I believe, but... Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my doubt. I believe you are who you say you are, but God, I'm running out of steam here. Please. And then it comes to the final great scene. Go back and read this this week, if if you're willing. Genesis 12 through 25. Unbelievable story about this man This is where he takes a great leap. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, we think Isaac was at least in his his teens. He could have been in his 20s. Some scholars think he was 33, the age that Jesus was when when he was um, crucified. But sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham. And Abraham just says, here I am. The God said, take your son, your only son. In the Greek, that, that in the Hebrew rather, it's, it's the only one. Like it's emphasized, the, I know it's the only one. Take him, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Here's the next line. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Really? Where's the pushback? I mean, all this journey with God, and, and now you're going to take the son of the promise and you're going to ask me to sacrifice him? Here's where the pushback is, Fred. It was here and here and here and here. God was constructing a faith in Abraham that finally said, God, I have no idea how you're going to pull this off. But I have seen you do the unbelievable. And my heart and my soul have been taught by you to trust the heart of the Father. To trust the heart of the Father. And so he takes two servants. And they travel for three days. And they see Mount Moriah in the distance. And he says to the servants, stay here with the donkeys. The boy and I will go over there to the top of this mountain. We will worship and then we will come back. I don't know that Abraham had completely worked out that that God was capable of resurrection, but he said, We will come back. So here's what we have We have Isaac, the son of the promise. He's a miracle. It's a miracle birth. He's an only son. He's the only son. He traveled with his father to Mount Moriah. And don't picture Abraham as a child. He's not a little boy. He's a man. And and Abraham now is, is an older gentleman. And so Isaac is willing. He's a willing sacrifice because along the way, when they're traveling up Mount Moriah and they have the wood is placed literally on Isaac's back, literally on his back. And and Abram is holding a flame, the fire and a knife. And Isaac looks at his father and he says, where's the ram for the sacrifice? And this is what... Abram is able to say, after a lifetime of construction, he's able to say, God will provide. He'll show up. He always has. It took three days to get to Mount Moriah. When they get to the top of this hill... They go as far as to lay the wood down and Isaac on top of the wood—a willing sacrifice. Here's the picture of Isaac trusting his father and Abraham touching, trusting his father. Generational faith is being constructed in this family for the first time, and Abraham has his knife on, has his hand on the knife, and God calls out. He says, "Abraham." abraham whenever you see two words in scripture like that it's a it's a sign of intimacy and relationship so it wasn't like abraham i didn't think you'd really do it it was like my dear son abraham do not lay a hand on the boy do not do anything to him now i know that you fear god because you have not helped from me your son and here it is again your only son, the only one. And so Abraham renames Moriah, Mount Moriah, God will provide, because he looks over in the bushes, and there's a ram. And they sacrifice the ram. And then they, we will return. Friends, here's where I want with exclamation mark on Abraham's story. This was 1800 years before Jesus. 1800 years. 1800 years later, there's another miraculous birth. Jesus. Born of a virgin. And every Jewish family, since the time of this episode with Abraham and Isaac has been telling the story. Every Jewish family knew the story. They call it To this day, the binding story. It's the most famous Jewish story that you tell a family. So, 1800 years later, there's another miraculous birth, Jesus. And on that same mountain, Mount Moriah, King David had renamed that mountain, and it was now called Jerusalem. And the Romans got an idea they said, you know what? It looks just to completely humiliate criminals when we're crucifying them. Let's go to that hill just outside of town that's like the highest hill. So when we look at the people being crucified, we can, we can see it from the city. That would be embarrassing. And so they call that highest hill just outside Jerusalem Calvary. And they said, you know what, I have an idea. When, when they're going to be crucified, let's make them, let's make them carry their own cross. Wouldn't that be terrible? Their their own wooden cross, the instrument, the wood on which they will be hung and sacrificed. And so Jesus carried the wood, the wooden cross, up the very same mountain that Isaac had carried it up 1,800 years before that. It took three days for them to journey to Mount Moriah, and our Lord was in the ground for three days before he was resurrected. When Jesus was being baptized and he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, he was, he was God the Son. The Holy Spirit descended on, on him in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven, God the Father said, This is my Son. Whom I love. And in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son. My only Son. Jesus was also the only Son. And when John the Baptist, who was Jesus' forerunner, said the Messiah is coming and he preached before Jesus, when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he said behold, that means look, pay attention, it's the Lamb of God. A lamb is a baby ram. The first time love The word love is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's in Genesis 22. When we knew God was creative, we knew he was all powerful, we knew he built us for relationship, we knew that he made everything that is and was and will be. We knew that he and Jesus and the Holy Spirit had always been. But this was the first time that love was used when he said, your son, your only son, whom you love. The first time love is used in the New Testament is at Jesus' baptism when, when God's voice says, This is my son, whom I love. See, Isaac, any sacrifice made before Jesus could only atone for the sins of a family. Not, not make it right, just, it was just a penalty. It was a, it was a penalty payment. It had to be a perfect human. It had to be an innocent, perfect human. And so Jesus came himself. And 1,800 years before Jesus came and and died on Calvary and rose again on the third day, 1,800 years before, God was saying, I'm coming for you. See, I'm I'm coming for you. Ever since you decided to, to do life your way, I've been coming for you. I have I'm coming. And so then when Jewish families who knew this story inside and out, they saw what happened with Jesus and they were wait, you mean like he's been coming all this time. But friends, Abraham did not arrive at this great leap. God constructed that faith in him. Through just being intrigued at first, through mounds of doubt, through impatience and wrong turns and disobedience, through God, I believe, but help me with my unbelief and suffering. It was constructed in him from the moment we say, God, I, I believe the kind of belief that trusts the Bible believe just a little bit, God begins constructing that faith in your life and he is constructing that in your soul, in your mind, in your life until the day you die. If there's something that I relearned from Abraham in the past few weeks as I've been studying these scriptures, it's God help me as I journey and grow in my faith to trust the heart of the Father more trust His goodness, to, tr- to believe that He will provide, to look back and see His faithfulness and let that build my belief in His current goodness. God, help me to trust the heart of the giver, the God of the universe, more than I grab hold of the gifts that I think I need so much, that I think I need to control And ordain how they're used. Help me to trust the heart of the Father, the great giver of all good things, Lord. Help me to fall more in love with you instead of clinging to my gifts. Help me to trust the heart of the Father. Let me pray for us.